this is a very unique time in college athletics. And this is a call to leadership. This is a call of duty, especially for the African-American student-athlete population. They need to be heard. They need to understand how they can make a difference, how they can engender change, and how they can have a voice. We're going to go out on the field. We're going to score as many goals as we can. We're going to have fun. Oh, Becky, oh, well placed. Come on, Jake. Come on, Jake. It has been my pleasure and my honor to represent you all. Today on the show, I interview a man with a laundry list of accomplishments in the collegiate sports world as an educator, administrator, and of course, athlete, Dr. Brandon E. Martin. Dr. Martin is currently the athletic director at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. In addition to his job overseeing the university's 19 sports programs, he also holds the position of executive in residence, where he assists in the development and growth of the UMKC School of Education and School of Business. Prior to moving to Missouri, Dr. Martin was the athletic director at Cal State University Northridge, University of Oklahoma, and the University of Southern California. Coupled with his athletic duties and pursuits, Martin served as an assistant professor of clinical education in the USC Rossier School of Education. Dr. Martin has presented more than 40 papers, symposia, and workshops at national higher education conferences. What else? What else here? I could really just keep going on. He has also proudly served in other service capacities, including board of directors for the Los Angeles Sports Council, NCAA Committee on Academics, and Board of Directors for the Norman Addiction Information and Counseling Center. There's no fluff here, no storytelling. I really just wanted to have a conversation with Dr. Martin about his own journey from sport to life after sport. This uh, journal article that he wrote on the black male student athlete at highly selective universities in the Pac-12 and finally, wanted to talk to him about how he views his role as an athletic director and the time he gets with student-athletes and what ways can he impact the, the know-how, the skills, the perspective before they ultimately go off and become real-world adults themselves. So without further ado, let's just dive right in. Well, to start off, I, I think we're actually going to have a problem to start off, and that's because you have an 818 area code, and I'm coming into this with a 310 area code. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that's the first thing we need to sort out here. So you're, you're uh, SoCal born and raised? Yes, yes. I was born and raised in South Central Los Angeles, and um, I actually started out at, at Cleveland High School, uh, which is in Reseda. And went there for two and a half years and a year and a half went to my home school, which was Washington Prep High School, uh, which is in South Central L.A. It was, it was my home school from the start. But my dad wanted me to venture out and see something that was different, that was away from gang violence, that was away from, um, you know, a drug infested type of environment. And it worked out. 
it worked out. I was connected to uh, a great team uh, that produced four Division One, Division One basketball players during that time. I was exposed to great education, um, and and actually established some good friendships during that period. Mm. And so, yeah, you were a four-year letter winner on the USC men's basketball team, served as team captain. Um, can you talk a little bit about your, your own athletic identity during your student-athlete career and the influence sport came to have in your life and sense of self? Sure. I'd like to go back to when I was recruited in high school, and I had several offers from some top-level Division One schools, USC being uh, one of them. And George Rabling stood out from the other coaches that, that recruited me. George Rabling was the first intellectual um, that I was exposed to and was a model for me of who I wanted to be. And um, him cuff, uh, coupled with USC being one of the best universities in the world that was 12 minutes away from my, from my home. It just made sense. I wanted to choose a university that would make me more prosperous and uh, richer and actually more competitive when I was 30, 40, 50 years old. And that's worked out up to this point. (laughs) And so when you talk about an athletic and an academic identity. Um, I was a, a 3.5 student in high school. Um, but going to USC was a little different than going to a large urban public high school. So it was competitive. And with me being having a competitive nature, it was important for me to commit myself to have a high level of discipline to um, to maintain that, and that took work. And um, I was on the dean's list for, uh, I believe, six semesters while I was at USC, and it, it, it worked out. And I, I felt that having an academic identity was important as I transitioned away from basketball. I felt like I always wanted to be an educator. I always wanted to be a leader in a community. I always wanted to be a mentor for people in my community and wanted to be at the vanguard of elevation and change for folks in South LA, for folks in Inglewood, for the black community. And at the time, I didn't know what that looked like. But uh, at this point, it's pretty crystallized for me. (laughs) So it sounds like, yeah, coming out of USC as an undergrad, you you kind of had a sense of what a potential career would be um, as an educator. But how did you ultimately decide to dive in to the world of academia, pursuing a master's and then eventually getting your doctorate in Higher Education Administration, I think it was? Yes, yes. So after USC, I played professionally for three years in Spain, Venezuela, and China. Wow. 
great experiences, learned so much about culture, so much about life, so much about people from different places in the world. And so coming back, it gave me sort of an advantage. It also gave me a level of appreciation for what we have here in America. But I was offered a graduate assistant position by uh, a gentleman named Dennis Doherty, who was the CFO at USC at the time. And he offered uh, two scholarships to myself. And it was a gentleman named Terry Barnum, who was on the football team. Who Wait, uh, I know that name. Terry, Did he work at Harvard Westlake? He, he's, yeah, I, I believe he's still the, the AD. That's and so fun. I went to Harvard, Harvard Westlake. Westlake. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. World. So, so Terry and I, Terry and I go way back. <laughs> and so he was the other recipient of that, of that award. And after I completed uh, playing overseas, I called Mr. Doherty and said that I was ready to come back and, and go to grad school. And he was, he said, well, when do you want to start? And I started, um, right away i think it was two weeks after i came back from playing playing basketball overseas and uh, he put me on a rotation where i worked in the college business office i worked in college athletics the athletics department worked in student affairs and also worked in the admissions office and um, i was a graduate student at the same time and that's when that's when my identity started to shift that's when i figured out that athletics administration was my niche and that's when i figured out that i wanted to maximize my academic experiences at usc and get a doctorate degree Hmm. and uh to put the nerd hat on for a little bit i wanted to talk about it was during that time you wrote uh god i'm gonna pronounce this wrong uh phenomenological study of academically driven african phenomenological (laughs) Phenomenological. yeah Yeah. all right might have to edit that um and was just to clarify was that later published as athletic voices and academic victories or is that different okay it was yeah that was later published so what inspired you uh to pursue that topic well i wanted to change the narrative from what black male student athletes, what they couldn't do academically. There was a lot of literature. It was a lot, a lot of things written about the, the black male athlete in terms of some of the academic challenges and the things that they were not uh, doing well in their overall um, uh, capacity. And I wanted to take a slightly different approach and, and really highlight and underscore the academically successful, the academically driven black uh, male student athletes at highly selective division one schools. And uh, so I, I chose UFC, USC, of course, UCLA, Berkeley and Stanford. And I had 28 participants in my study. And so that was one of the reasons why I I chose a different approach Hmm. in in research. Um, And let's uh, 
let's be clear here, this article had an impact. Uh, you won the 2005 USC Rossier School of Education Dissertation of the Year Award for it, and not a coincidence, the same year you also earned the National Association of Academic Advisors Award for Student Athlete Excellence in Research. It was published in the Journal of Sport and Social Issues in 2010 and has been referenced 45 times in other works on topics centering on race, sport, and yeah, power of college campuses and identity. Would you go into um, what exactly it was that you were focusing on in this study? I know you touched on it a little bit, and, and the, but I guess the questions you hope to answer coming out of it. Yeah, so it was, it, it was to discover some of the, the major themes on what made this group, what made this demographic successful. What were some of the non-athletic um, um, aspects? What were some of the non-academic factors that allowed them to be successful? Was it um, being motivated and being encouraged by professors on campus? Was it the fact that in high school they had more robust identities outside of athletics where they participated in clubs. They participated in maybe the band. Maybe they had other interests outside of, of just their respective sports. Did they feel like they had to work harder than their their white counterparts or and white teammates? Did they did they feel that? Um, also the role that parents played um, in their overall academic identities. And it was interesting that I believe it was 12 of the participants in my study, they didn't grow up with a father in a home. Um, and so um, they, they talked a great deal about their mothers sending academic messages, sending college-going messages they talked about having support systems where the uh, their high school coach or it might have been a mentor in the community that took the place of, of the uh the father figure and so i i really wanted to discover i wanted to unpack and i wanted to reveal the the, the factors of why they were successful and what enabled them to persist. And it was such a refreshing study to identify 28 black male um, academically driven student athletes who were so motivated and had such a, uh, a high drive and a high engine to be successful outside of their respective sports. And uh, we won't get too into the, the nitty gritty social science procedure stuff here in talking about how exactly the results were produced, but it seems like, so these 28 men were prompted with um, four open-ended statements related to, you know, tell me about your academic experiences at your university. Tell me how you're perceived on campus as an African-American student athlete. Tell me about the challenges of balancing academics and athletics. Tell me about your sources of motivation to perform well academically. 
And then the responses to these statements were grouped into four major themes and then analyzed. I know it was 15 years ago, but I know that you've also <laughs> talked about this paper a lot. So, um, yeah, would you mind giving like a brief synopsis of the findings uh, for our listeners here? Sure. Um, you know, I'll just dovetail on the, some of the comments that I made earlier. A large majority of the participants felt that they had a point to prove. They had a point to prove to society. They had a point to prove to their professors that they belonged on campus. But not only that, but that they could achieve at a high level. Uh, that, that was one. Um, you know, number two, it was a large majority of the participants who had high aspirations outside of being a professional football player, professional basketball player, or the respective sport that they participated in. And we had participants who, you know, wanted to work for NASA. Mm -hmm. We have participants who wanted to work on wall street we have participants who wanted to be professors we had one participant who said he wanted to win the nobel peace prize you know and so that was that was pretty refreshing to to hear we also had a large majority of the participants who were actively engaged on campus outside of athletics where they were involved in fraternities. They were involved in clubs and orgs. They were involved in the respective black student uh, union or organization on campus. And they felt a need to be leaders outside of athletics. Mm. Those were those were three or four of the, the, the common themes that, that came out from the study. Mm-hmm. Uh, in thinking about the scope of this podcast, so the transition to life after being a competitive athlete, in what ways do you think uh, the black male athletes in these specific university spaces carry these ideas and stereotypes with, with them into quote, real world spaces, like the workplace, whether that's in athletics or in the corporate world or wherever? Well, I want to say that, that any, any black man, whether they have participated in the study or not, um, carries some sort of um, need to, to be competitive, to prove themselves, to work that much harder Mm. to be able to walk into a room and not only be heard, but people listen. And so as pertains to student athletes and the ones that were participants in my study, as I've tracked them throughout the years, um, they're all successful. Mm. They're all, they're all successful. Some even were fortunate enough, to play in the NFL, to play um, in the NBA, have have professional uh, sports careers, but now they're they're driven and they're um, exceeding beyond the odds uh, professionally, and um, that's that's refreshing. I've I've had 
quite a few reach out to me um, over the years and just just thank me for providing a space where they could have a voice and share their experiences and have a mentor that perhaps they didn't know they would have at the time, but someone that they could they could lean on, count on, and someone that they could uh, they could have in their corner. And so, I truly believe that my study was more than a dissertation, but it was a contribution to higher education. It was a contribution to society, and it was a model, and it was a reminder that the narrative of young black males in society is not just about them being incarcerated. It's not just about them being violent. It's not just about them being in gangs or drug dealers. There's a narrative of the black male that needs to be told. And that's what my study did. Yeah, I cannot say that uh, many uh, participants in a research study, study could say that they came out of it with a, a mentor for 10 plus years. That's pretty special. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and speaking of special, I think this is really special. Um, looking at younger Brandon Martin before that uh, doctor title came before it, um, writing that article back in 2005 and then where you're at currently in 2020, this made me smile. Um, Towards the end of uh, the dissertation, you wrote an implications for policy and practices section. And here you talk a lot about the importance of athletic directors and the power that can be tapped into in an AD student athlete relationship. You say division one athletic directors need to be more cognizant of the academic and social needs of African-American male student athletes. Uh, the participants in this study unanimous, unanimously concluded that having African-American administrators and academic advisors was critical to their academic persistence and performance at their respective universities, and so on. Well, Dr. Mar Martin, you are currently an athletic director um, at UM Kansas City, and in, you've been one at several other universities. I know you said that you had a sense that you wanted to be an educator of some sort, but it begs the question, did working on your dissertation present an epiphany moment for you, or how did you ultimately land in this position? Well, I think it ignited me more than anything to pursue my goal. Hmm. And as I've navigated intercollegiate athletics and worked at uh, USC, worked at University of Oklahoma, worked at Cal State Northridge, and now at University of Missouri, Kansas City. I feel that I'm in a position to engender change and to be that model for student athletes. And so my role here at UMKC is not just director of athletics, but I'm also an executive in residence in the block business school of management and also an executive in residence in the school of education. And so those are two other appointments that I have on campus where I have in-person contact and um, where I'm able to teach, but also advise both deans on 
sports leadership and sports management and things related to college athletics. Now, as pertains to some of the, the societal challenges that we have now, um, coming off of George Floyd and some of the other murders and with related to police brutality, right now is a chance and an opportunity for me to be hands-on. And what I've done is created a discourses of being black in America virtual series where I, I, I have contact and communication with my African-American uh, student athletes and provide a space for them to have a voice, provide a space for them to uh, talk about where the pain points are and talk about how to move forward. Some have talked about protesting, but my challenge and charge to them is, is um, you need to go into it with an outcome, not just going up to protest to have a voice or just to say, oh, yeah, I went down and I marched. What is your outcome? And this is a very unique time in our world. This is a very unique time in college athletics. And this is a call to leadership. This is a call of duty, especially for the African-American student-athlete population. They need to be heard. They need to understand how they can make a difference, how they can engender change, and how they can have a voice. Hmm. And so that's what I've been working on recently. Now, I, I, I'm not saying this is this is the cure, okay, but this is maybe one or two steps in the positive direction under the guise of leadership, under the guise of solidarity, under the guise of unity and change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and creating content like it sounds like you're in the midst of creating you know that's that would never be in a in a job description when you're applying when you're applying but it's the sort of above and beyond actions that like you said really incite and push forward change no question about it no question about it i don't remember uh which which sec school uh which football program but i i loved it i believe it was a couple days ago the coach led him to in a kneeling for nine minutes in honor of George Floyd, and then they went right to register to vote. That's right. There's been several student-athletes that have boycotted workouts mm -hmm. as of late. I believe at Florida State, they had an incident down there. The Mizzou, University of Missouri football players, they had a march recently. There was also uh, an isolated event at Ohio State with one of the, the basketball players. Um, he, he wasn't arrested, but, you know, um, it, it, he was visibly seen uh, protesting. So more than any time in intercollegiate athletics, we've seen black student athletes have a voice. Mm -hmm. But now we have to teach them how to be constructive with that voice. And you brought up voting. 
voting is is significant. They need to understand the importance of voting, <laughs> um, and they need to understand, you know, how uh, how our elected officials can help change, um, and they need to understand um, the, the the political landscape in in, in our nation. And oftentimes, that's what's not taught in the classroom. We need to teach our student athletes, and not just not just the, the black student athletes, but we need to teach all of our student athletes to have life skills and to be critical thinkers in this world. Mm-hmm. And I'm a huge proponent of producing more social entrepreneurs, people um, that are dedicated to creating the change that we want to see. And so that's, that's one of the things that, that I'm going to explore and address further with my student athletes in, in the weeks ahead. Uh, maybe a, a nice segue into, uh, this final, these final two questions here, which I guess are two sides of the same coin, just in thinking about, you know, student athletes who are facing the transition or are in the midst of it or now on the other side looking at uh, what they want to do and maybe they still want to be in the sports world but that's not as a coach maybe it is as an athletic director and administrator um so what's the most difficult part of your job would you say i would say managing all of the stakeholders Hmm. there's so many stakeholding groups that are involved in my in my job, I have the, the the chancellor, I have the faculty, I have student athletes, I have parents, I have the media, <laughs> I have the I have the NC2A, I have my conference leaders, um, and other 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 stakeholders. Okay, just just to name a few, and trying to be all things to all of those stakeholders is challenging. And there's no textbook that can teach you how to do that. So there's there's a, a, a lot of different programs that, that'll say, well, if you can draw up a great marketing plan, then you'll be a great athletics director. But what they don't tell you is that if you don't know how to communicate to student athletes who have a strong voice, um, you're not you're not going to be successful in your job. What they don't tell you is that if you don't know how to challenge and motivate people and get the most out of the people that you might inherit as a new athletics director and might have had the uh, opportunity to maybe bring in new staff members, but you, you're, you're forced to really maximize the skill sets that your current staff members have you're not going to be successful what they don't tell you is is that no good deed goes unpunished and the things that you say and the the things your actions are are magnified and can be in the media within seconds so there's a there's a part of my position. There's a part of being a division one athletics director that, that is unseen and that is misunderstood by a lot of people. A 
across this nation. Mm -hmm. And to end on, on a high, what, what's that part about your job that makes you excited to get out of bed every morning? The fact that it's a challenge that I have to be better each day. I have to sell a vision to my student athletes, to my coaches, to my staff each day. That's, that's the beauty of my job. My job is that, that I can demonstrate servant leadership every single day. I can uplift a life every single day. I'm responsible for close to 400 people combined. That's student athletes, coaches, and staff. And it's my job as a leader to uplift that student athlete who might be having a tough day. It's my job to try and lessen the anxiety that a coach might have about a game that might be coming up in a couple days. It's my job to make sure that a staff member who is maybe struggling with something personally to make sure that I'm putting feelings before facts and that there's a level of empathy that I have in my leadership. And so each day is a new day, but at the core of it is all rooted in servant leadership and not only making myself better, but making my team better. Wow. All right. You've got me now looking at athletic director as a potential career. <laughs> I feel fired up now. I'm like this, you know, this might tick all my boxes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Really um, just interesting to hear. Yeah. The perspective, you know, I don't think you're right. There's a lot that we, I, I say stu we student athletes, people in general don't understand about uh, the role that you, that you have. Yes, but it's a it's a needed role. Mm -hmm. The needed role. It's a it's a critical role, especially now in higher education and in society. Mm -hmm. We have the opportunity to shape, mold, and guide student athletes in a positive direction, and more times more time than, than, than any time in, in history, it's time for all athletic directors to maybe change the, the paradigm, maybe change their approach towards maybe being a little bit more hands-on with, with their staff, with their student athletes, with maybe even colleagues across campus and, and really stepping up during this period of discovery and this period of unknown. Yeah. Well, really significant takeaways there. And um, I think this is all I have for you. Um, I really appreciate, again, you taking the time to talk, Dr. Martin. My pleasure. And thank you for listening. If you want to learn more about Dr. Brandon E. Martin's work, I encourage you to check out the Run Along additional material section on runalongpodcast.com. That's all I've got. Hope to see you next time.